Hello and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. I think that's the, the title we've we've settled on. Uh, Dave, yeah, if, is, that, is that right? If the pastor says so, that's definitely well, what the podcast is for called. For now, until we get a better offer, we, I think we'll stick with that. Really great to have you uh, listening in. And uh, I've really been looking forward to this one because this week the roles are reversed. So Dave is answering my questions. I've told Dave that... Uh, I've prepared him for the questions, but we'll find out whether that's really the case or not. If any of you have seen Matt in the past few weeks, you'll notice that he's been hobbling around, and he'll say that it's some sort of technical term, but what actually is, is that he's been carrying the podcast for a few weeks, and he's just knackered, so... Hopefully his leg will be a bit better this week because the enormous weight has been placed on so the So there you go, instead. Dave. Yeah, no pressure. You are carrying it today. So I'm, I'm doing the questioning, which I'm really looking forward to. So just to warm you up, seeing as you're new to being on this side of the table, Dave, yeah. um, a few warm-up questions, a few quick hitters. So first question, what's the thing you found hardest in these two letters you preached on on Sunday? I'd probably say Jesus. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, that, that's a short answer. What, what, okay, another question. What has... As you look to those letters, Pergamum and Thyatira, what surprised you in those letters? I'd probably say Jesus again. <laughs> okay, there's a, there's a trend developing here. Right, all right, what's the thing that's thrilled you most? That was the other question I had for you, quick fire question. I'd say Jesus, Jesus. again. Yeah. With Jesus again. This is gonna be a very quick podcast. <laughs> no, but Sunday school answers aside, I I de- genuinely did find Jesus the hardest, the most surprising, and the most thrilling, as I looked at the two churches this week, because mm. it is Jesus who's speaking. And actually, like right before uh, we launched into the sermon, we sang "Jesus Strong and Kind," mm. and we definitely get the the strong and the kind in this passage. But we like to think strong is in oh he's going to fight for me and he's going to protect me, rather than. He is not going to tolerate or be weak on my sin. Yeah. And actually as well, whenever we think about kind, I sort of like to think of it as like a warm hug. You know, one of those things, a hug that mm-hmm. we were allowed to do back in the day. I vaguely remember them. Yeah. Well, I sort of like to think of Jesus being kind, giving me a hug rather than he's kind enough to tell me how prone I am to wonder. And I, I need to be led back into the path of righteousness. Jesus is challenging surprising and thrilling because he always seems to hold the impossible tensions of life together he's graceful and yet full of judgment Mm. he forgives and yet he has discipline the list could go on and on i love jesus because there's simply no one like him Uh, fair play dave good first answer to your first question I, I, i i love that as you said, I think a previous week, I think it's one of the reasons we do expository preaching through books of the Bible, because otherwise we just focus in on certain aspects of him, wouldn't we? Yeah, the, well, the ones that we like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Not these difficult things. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave, you changed tack a little bit, going back to your sermon on Sunday. Um, you referred to your sermon, if I recall, as a tadpole. A so tadpole. <laughs> can you give us an insight into the workings of the mind of Dave Lawther, for one thing, but also remind us why you said your sermon was a tadpole? <laughs> well, I think whenever you're preaching a sermon, particularly as a young guy who's sort of just starting out, you sort of like to keep the people guessing. You want to woe people with how you take them through this passage. And, you know... In my head, it feels like a really smooth car drive, but actually it probably feels more like a roller coaster to a lot of people. So I think the reason why I said at the very start that this is a tadpole 
shaped sermon was that it was going to be quite top heavy and then it was going to work its way down into sort of a big first point so you're sitting there thinking good grief this first point's taking forever you at least know (laughs) like you know the shorter stuff is coming eventually um so yes and i say that and my sermon is 26 minutes so even though i was trying to be a bit more you know honing it down end up taken forever so it's not just you who preaches long Matt it's me as well <laughs> oh touche yeah yeah I think you were longer than my last couple of sermons though Dave just just saying for, yeah, for the record just um, flexing there <laughs> so so what you're saying is that the the sermon is top heavy yeah I'm sure um that being the case because actually I found that really helpful I think a few people did made us sit up and take notice and also we could see where we were going in the sermon which was brilliant I'm sure, though, you would have liked to have had the sections at the end uh, of equal length, especially the three promises at the end. We kind of flew through those quite quickly, encouraging as they were. So, first of all, could you remind us what those those three promises were that you highlighted at the end? Yeah, it is funny. Like on my on my screen on Sunday, I have a stopwatch, and like you probably noticed, whenever we hit a certain point, I went, "Oh, time's motoring." <laughs> my uh, my words probably tripled in speed, which probably wasn't that helpful. But it's something I suppose I need to reflect on, as I was lightest on encouragements and the promises to the churches. And I think the reason why that was the case was I was trying to preach what we call the tone of the text Mm. jesus is warning his churches here primarily i think so the text has a certain tone of urgency and sort of harshness dare i say and to give you an idea of other texts where we talk about the tone um in galatians 3 paul says to the galatians you foolish galatians he's raging there (laughs) he's not happy at all he's not saying Oh, you silly sausages! You you better behave yourselves. <laughs> he is livid. If I preach that text, I'd need to get some of that emotion across. Right. Yeah. And in the same way, Isaiah forty verse one, God says to Israel, "Comfort, comfort my people," says your God. If I preach that the way I preached on Sunday, I'd be doing something very badly wrong, to mm. say the least. So, back to your question, um, the reason why I probably minored on the encouragements was because I wanted to preach the tone of the text. But to answer your question, the three promises at the end that we looked at were Jesus will discipline his church, you will have a better feast awaiting you, and you will reign and rule with Jesus. Great. Thank you. That, that was a Matt type answer there because you, you answered the question right at the end in the short bit. But the, <laughs> <laughs> the preamble was really helpful. It does help explain why we major on some things more than others and, and tone as well. So, so yeah, so the promises were Jesus will discipline his church, you have a better feast awaiting you. I love that. And you will reign and rule with Jesus. So can we talk about that that first encouragement that Jesus will discipline his church? I mean, that sounds a bit strange to say that. Yeah. Um, this was in, in light of false teaching, right? So what does it look like for Jesus to use the sword of his mouth on a church? And also just to throw in a little extra, just to keep you on your toes. How's that encouraging? So... <laughs> Um, it's a difficult question really Um, I think the context of the passage that we're looking at where we have the mention of Balaam and Balak I don't even know if I said that right Um, in Numbers 25.9 is quite helpful because we see that 24,000 people died who did fall into false teaching sexual immorality and idolatry and that that is terrifying and Mm. that's, that's an image of Jesus warring against sin in his people and we see in Thyatira that there is illness and sickness for the false prophetess 
Jezebel. And she doesn't repent of that. Hmm. I don't actually know what that might look like in the 21st century church. But I think, you know, just a hypothetical, I think it would look like a clear intervention by God in the life of the church, which shows us quite clearly his providential hand working. I don't know whether that's um, lots of godly believers leaving the church after having tried to do some church discipline and people persisting in sin. I think what we see here in Revelation is that Jesus' warnings and discipline is always with the purpose of reconciliation, which I think is the answer to your cheeky extra question. (laughs) He wants to see people to repent and turn to him. So actually, whenever we think about discipline, sounds negative, but actually, Mm. whenever you discipline a child, it's for their benefit so that they don't turn into an awful bloke or an awful girl in the future. So it's all the encouragement about discipline is that it's always for our good mm. and for God's glory. So even where we don't like it, the the encouragement is Jesus' motivation. He's doing this because he loves us and he loves his churches. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's John Newton who says when we can't see God's uh, when we can't see God's hand, we can trust His heart, which is sort of yeah. the, the thing in discipline. We can see His hand in discipline, but we can trust the heart that's behind it. Yeah, I like it. Good one. I like that. So can we move on to the, the next point then? Uh, I love this phrase you used, Dave. You said, you have a better feast awaiting you. I could, you sounded excited when you said that. Your eyes kind of lit up. <laughs> so would you mind telling us a bit more about the white stones though? Because I, I've, I've read uh, quite a few different things from commentators on that. I thought that the line you took was really interesting and really helpful. You said there are lots of different uses for white stones, but you had a suggestion as to what that could be. So can you tell us more? Yeah. Um, this is where I appreciate the massive brain that you have, Matt, because this is really difficult for me. Um, so the white stones, I suppose... He, by are... the way, he's, he's, he's just laughing at me as he's saying that, just, just for the <laughs> listeners' benefit. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, interrupted your flow there. Yeah, so the white stones have a couple of different uses. Um, so, for example, a white stone was a sign of a favourable vote in court. So a black stone meant that you were guilty. A white stone meant that you weren't guilty. No, white stone meant that you're not guilty. Black meant that you are guilty. Mm. That's possible one for application potentially because Christians will not be guilty one day before God. Right. Despite the world saying that they are guilty and they are being bad citizens by not being involved in these feasts or acts of worship. In Jewish traditions, manna was described as having the appearance of precious white stones so white throughout Old Testament, New Testament, symbolizing righteousness. Mm. So that could be what these white stones are again. Then the third one is the one that I said, which was about admission to special occasions and feasts. I thought just because of the context of Pergamum and Thyatira, well, Pergamum especially, these trade feasts that were going on, it probably worked out best because to get into these, potentially you needed these white stones to get in and actually for Jesus to say that you're going to get a white stone for a greater feast that is to come that's very helpful for those Christians in that situation and I didn't even get to go into the new name that in the new feast we will have have Christ's name on us and we see that later on in Revelation in Mm. chapter 22 and in those days to know someone's name especially God meant to have an intimate relationship with them it meant to share in the person's nature power and status so therefore, Christian believer in Pergamum, Christian believer today, everything that this world tries to offer you is given to you in Christ now and abundantly forevermore. There's simply no comparison. Yeah. That's that's the idea of the white stones, I think. 
Yeah, I, I found that really helpful actually. And I don't think I'd come across that particular one before, but in context, really made sense. And I, the thing is, I think what you, you close by saying there is really important. Everything this world tries to offer is giving you in Christ abundantly and forever. You know, that point comes across strongly whatever your view of the white stones, isn't it? Yeah. So some of these some of these interpretations are really key and really important. Others, it, it's great to grapple with them and figure out what they mean, but it's not vital to what the whole passage means, right? No. And I think that's that's where it's helpful whenever we look at Revelation. We can be encouraged by those different interpretations because lots of commentators, much more godly than mm. than me, have wrestled with this and actually say it could be any of them and all of them are pretty equally encouraging. Yeah, and kind of all point in the same the same general direction anyway, don't they? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I, I really want to ask you to expand a bit more on what you touched on from the end of the letter to Thyatira. That's the one who's victorious will have authority to, I was like, reading this again, oh, wow, what's that about? Authority to rule over the nations. What on earth is that about, Dave? <laughs> Once again, it's not the most straightforward thing to try to unpack in a 25-minute tadpole sermon <laughs> where you probably need an hour lecture just to do it justice. Um, if you flick in your Bibles to Genesis one twenty-eight, we see that God tells Adam to rule over the created order by God's ordination. So Adam, in some ways, in the Garden of Eden, is a king, really. Yeah. So yeah. then, whenever humankind falls into sin, their failure means that the world itself is decaying. So Jesus is the second Adam, the promised king, which we read about in Psalm 2, which is what's quoted in Thyatira. That's where we get this imagery from. And in Psalm 2, we read about how the nations conspire plot in vain against the Lord and his anointed. So actually to say that we will reign with Christ means that we will reign with him perfectly after he has judged those nations to be wicked. And actually we don't really like this language because it might sound a bit imperialistic and harsh. But actually, as I said on Sunday, I think it's because of our cultural context. Mm. To struggling Christians in the first century, and actually probably across our world now, they would have longed for this day. This would have given them great great hope for the future mm. but it is it's hard this is why you know we need to look at revelation because we think we have too small a picture of jesus i think that's why i went and got you know my tupperware collection because <laughs> yeah, i like that yeah. we try to fit god in a box we try to fit jesus to be mm. just too nice and actually mm. this is part of who he is he's a king who is going to reign and rule yeah. over over everything and also to to apply this stuff rightly to ourselves which we can do we've got to as you said get the original context right haven't we so yeah. to me as you're saying all that and the word that's coming to mind is vindication that yeah. that those suffering christians knew they would be vindicated for their trust in jesus one day and we tend to think of vindication as like vindictive kind of word but it's yeah. not it's about justice and it's about jesus goodness and that's what was coming through to me as you were saying that mm. yeah i suppose that's the thing whenever we see a king or a judge bring down a persecution someone who deserves it we rejoice in that mm. we just don't often think of the world as truly wicked because we just we yeah. buy the the narrative don't we mm. that we're all we're all good we're all actually not too bad and that mm. you know sin isn't that serious which yeah. is why once again revelation is definitely you know an uppercut into our faces that actually <laughs> we really need jesus and we really mm. need his good rule and not our rule yeah amen well, Dave, to to ask you uh, a question of the type that you tend to like asking me, how do these truths 
that we've been talking about so far from these letters, how do they help the busy, pressured believer on a Wednesday morning? Maybe they're listening to this as they drive in to school run, uh, do the school run or to drive to work. How does this help us when the, when the rubber hits the road? Well, this is what it's all about, really. This is what, you know, preaching should be all about. How does the Bible speak into my messy, wonderful, crazy, sinful and Christ-bought hmm. life? Um, I'll, I'll say three things to try to keep it punchy. So, so firstly, anything you feel that you're missing out on right now is not worth comparing to what is to come. Hmm. It's a drop in the ocean. And, I, you know, I say that and it sounds like a cliche even as I'm saying it. This does take a lifetime of prayer to get that into your heart. But it's really helpful right now, especially with COVID. Like when we feel we're missing out on lots of things in our life, whether that's we're recently retired and we just feel like now we're stuck at home, not even doing anything. Maybe it's we're missing out on our grandkids growing up. For me personally, I've missed some of my best friend's weddings and I was just really looking forward to those. Yeah. Um, whether it's just coming along to church, you know, it's a drop in the ocean. That's really hard to believe, but heaven will be better. Mm. And actually be better because we've suffered these things. The second one would be, second encouragement for your drive to work is that Jesus knows our churches. So if you're really frustrated by the Bridge Church or the <laughs> church you're in, if you're listening in, Jesus is deeply invested in them. How could he not be? He bought them with his own blood, right. which is once again really hard at times because I suppose in our context, we might long for a building to meet in. We might be be longing just to meet in person for life group. Or we might just long to be able to sing to him again. Oh, Matt, complete side point. But what is your favorite hymn or song that you cannot wait to belt out when we're back together? Come oh, on, fill us in. I'm useless at remembering songs, even the songs that I love. Oh, okay, <laughs> I should have, yeah. I should have thought about that one in advance. He did say you were going to ask me that. Um, do you know what? You might surprise you, Nick. I love some of the old traditional hymns and no. just sh- shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I just love belting them before the throne of God above and stuff like that. Do you know the one I really missed singing is um, "I am, I am who you say I am." That one, whom the sun sets free. And I know there's a new one, <laughs> but I, I just think that's such an, an anthem for 21st century Christians. You know, that the world is saying. You are who you decide you are, and actually, no, we're replying as we sing together. No, we are who Christ says we are. So sorry, sorry to disappoint you, Dave. Surprise you there, but was that John, I'm going to go with that one. John Wesley in the 1800s wrote that. Don't one? think it was. <laughs> I um, I got a feeling that was uh, Hillsong. Hillsong. Oh, yeah. yeah, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> but that it. was the one that sprung into my mind when you asked. Anyway, <laughs> you're trying to throw me off track here. Yeah. Come on, you're, you're yeah. trying to confuse me now. So, so back to your answer. Yeah. Third, third, and final encouragement is well what we believe really matters so you've got to ask questions like we we love to go and chat to people in our church who ask really good and also really difficult questions about their faith because it is a complete joy to have saints who love jesus Mm -hmm. love the bible and want to know and understand it more and ultimately you want to know and understand it more so that you can share it with the people you love because Jesus is so incomparable. You want to be able to speak of the hope and the joy of the gospel that he gives you. Yeah, and actually on that, Dave normally plugs this every week, and I'll just say again, we um, we are starting to get the, the questions kind of trickling through uh, trickling, from the congregation. Trickling is the It really word. is a trickle. <laughs> so please, please do send them through. We'll always do our best to answer a question you've got in the podcast. 
So if, if you're listening to the sermon on a Sunday and you're thinking, all right, they, they skimmed over that bit because there wasn't time, but I really want to know about that, please do get your question in. Yeah, for Matt, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but bearing in mind, though, Dave is preaching on uh, Revelation 4 coming up before too long in a few weeks' time, so you might be answering these questions too. But yeah, we, we would really <laughs> both encourage you to do that. Okay, so Dave, um, can I go back to the, the bigger section of your sermon tadpole? Yeah. The, the problem common to the two churches, which you summed up, if I remember rightly, as compromise... That compromise was caused in part by false teaching and you said that false teaching often gets a foothold because of a desire to make the Christian faith more palatable. I thought that was interesting. Any, any examples you could give of that? Yeah, I think that any sort of teaching that's you know says in the 21st century that we have come to some fresh new understanding of scripture mm. that goes against years and years of church tradition that we have You've got, there's got to be alarm bells ringing. You've got to be suspicious. So whenever someone says that the Bible doesn't really say X, Y, Z, that it's always said, because that's just too radical and too offensive to our modern ears, we're really setting ourselves up as God. Our feelings are God here. And that sadly is what we see a lot in our world today. Right. And that, in some ways, that is a false teaching in and of itself, that the our feelings trump what the Bible says. Yeah. Um, very often that's where false teaching begins. It begins with undermining the authority of the Bible and that just leads us into all sorts of matters of interpretation. I, I suppose you could give a number of examples of false teaching and that in our day, for some reason, it's a false understanding of sexual ethics. And it's probably the most prevalent in our days, which is why these two letters which speak against that are really helpful. Um, I know Sam Albury's written a really helpful book called Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With, which I'd recommend. Yeah. He's done a, a podcast on it as well on the Good Book Company. Mm. So there's a plug for them because it is it's really helpful and very insightful. And I think that that is one of the areas, isn't it? It's certainly not the only area or even the most important area but it's one of the areas in which I think Christians are starting to stick out like a sore thumb in our culture because a few generations back the sexual ethic in society would have been pretty similar to a, a biblical one yeah. even if a bit legalistic maybe hmm. these days absolutely not very different Yeah, and I suppose in some ways maybe it's just because I'm getting married soon but whenever I talk to people on my rugby team or whenever Amy's talked to people at work just the Christian ethic it's not just that it's um, strange it's just unbelievable they're like how could you possibly yeah. how could you possibly live like that yeah. and it's it's not seen as freedom in life it's seen as oppression and mm. I suppose that's why we've got to to know why this teaching is a good teaching because yeah. often false teaching is advertised as something really positive mm. and actually we need to be saying sort of like have you seen Harry Potter Oh yeah, big fan. So yeah. the Philosopher's Stone where, uh -huh. you know, we see Snape sort of like muttering something and Harry's being jerked around on the broom and you think, oh no, like Snape's trying to kill Harry. But actually it's Quirrell and Snape's, uh -huh. Snape's in the counter curse. What's actually going on is, you know, the world's, well, false teaching is Quirrell and Snape, can I say this? Snape is God in that <laughs> he's, his counter curse, his... God's message is the life here. Yeah, that's a bit of a I, well. I I really like that because I'm a Harry Potter fan. So anybody listening right now who has no idea what we're talking about and why I'm getting so thrilled about Harry Potter illustration, 
apologies. You need to <laughs> maybe need to read the Harry Potter books. But anyway, that's that's me going off on a tangent. Good, great, thanks, Dave. Uh, um, thanks for that answer. And um, as we starting to draw to a close, I've got a listener's question. Woo-hoo. So um, this is Steph Ellis, Mr. Oh, Steph Ellis, one so of our elders. Um, I think that actually this is a slight paraphrase of his question, but I think this is where he was going with it. So. Jesus um, creates a new people, the church, the New Testament church. And then we get the book of Revelation, his revelation that he gives to John, and it's full of Old Testament references. So why? What's that all about? Why all the Old Testament references and allusions? Good stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, good question. I know, I know it's not really what he's asking, but the question is sort of like, why do we need to bother with the Old Testament now that we've got Jesus? So mm. Jesus created a new people, the church and now all of a sudden we're getting all these old testament illustrations and references yeah i think what's helpful to remember is that jesus himself was a jew he was the jewish promised messiah and he says in matthew 5 verse 18 that not an iota or dot will pass away from the law so the old testament all points forward to jesus so by using Old Testament imagery, Jesus is saying that the Old Testament is one of the fundamental and foundational ways that we can see and treasure who Jesus is and what he's done. Actually, Jesus would have studied the Jewish scriptures or the Old Testament by using these references. Actually, he's reminding people that we can and we will see Christ in all of scripture by the help of his spirit. Mm. Um, in my quiet times, I'm in Luke and I've just read the Emmaus Road which is where all of scripture is opened up to these disciples. Just to say, if I could go back to one event in the history of the world, I'd go there. <laughs> that would be like Jesus opening up the Old Testament to you. Yeah, but I suppose true. that's that's sort of the thing. All of scripture points to Christ, and that's why Revelation is so chock-a-block full of it. It's to encourage us to hmm. go back and read weird accounts like Balaam and Balak and ask for God's help to see yeah. what's going on there, how it points to Jesus. That's great. I think that's a really great place to land, actually, isn't it? Because that's, at the end of the day, why we're preaching through a book like Revelation. You know, some people might think, why on earth do Revelation? Is, it, it's, it's so tough in places. But, yeah, God's given us a book. And it, it's, every word is for us from Jesus. And I loved what you were saying there, Dave. And it, it's about Jesus. It really is. It all, all points to him. I know the Sunday school answer to every question is Jesus. But yeah. you know what? That's actually the case. So... I must admit, last week, whenever I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking, why on earth are we doing Revelation? <laughs> well, just to remind you, Dave, that it, uh, you're back to grilling me next week. Um, yeah. But that, Oh, no, is it next week? Well, you, I'm, yeah, it is. I'm doing the next Revelation bit. Yeah. Uh, but you'll be back to it soon, so you'll be on that side of the table again soon when we've yeah. gone through Revelation 4. Uh, guys, uh, listening, I hope you've um, followed with us. you tracked through <laughs> what we're saying. I hope it's been beneficial and you've enjoyed it. We've certainly enjoyed doing it yet again. Please keep your questions coming in and uh, hope you have a really good week.